Hello, and welcome to episode 155 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Frank Martin, comics creator and the writer of the upcoming The Macabre Motel, launching on Kickstarter October 1st, 2020. Frank, thanks so much for coming back on the on the podcast. For, for anybody who wasn't able to hear your first um, appearance when you talked about the the modern mythology book uh why don't you let folks know uh who you are and the and the stuff that you make oh hi thanks for having me back matt um yeah my name is frank martin i'm a comic writer and an author i write uh novels short stories in addition to comics um i've written a bunch of stuff particularly in in a whole bunch of different genres sci-fi horror fantasy um and the latest book is macabre motel which is kind of a uh, a horror one shot. Mm-hmm. It's more. I, w- I would describe it more as like bizarre, weird horror rather than scary, gory kind of horror. And the story is kind of something we all can relate to. A guy is driving late at night, and he gets tired. He goes to a motel, and he immediately senses something is off about the motel. He can't really put his finger on what, but it just gets progressively weirder and weirder, and the guests get more bizarre and more bizarre until he has to get away he can't stay anymore but they they aren't really too keen on him leaving so he kind of gets stuck there yeah um you were you provided me with a preview copy would it be safe to say that like uh twilight zone uh like those outer limit shows was was an inspiration for this absolutely that's kind of that's a little bit of the um if you're into Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or even even something like Tales of the Crypt, that's kind of the feel I'm going for, where it's like a singular episode where you're placed, essentially, you follow the main character who's like your stand-in for the story. And, and I love those Twilight Zone episodes where they, they, they're kind of like a descent into madness, where it slowly but surely starts to build. And then there, there's this crescendo, there's this no turning back where it just gets totally out of the realm of the bizarre and you realize that this is not your ordinary um run-of-the-mill things are just kind of strange that you might encounter in the real world this it gets a little supernatural gets a little paranormal and it just kind of the goal was to make it as weird as possible pretty much well you definitely succeeded there um as the story starts off uh our main character is driving and he's having a, a conversation with with a loved one uh, which really gives us uh, an insight to sort of his situation and, and the things that he wants to do. Did you find it was important to try to sort of establish the the, the main character, make us sort of feel for him before you, you dumped him into to the, to the weirdness? You know, that's a, it, it's an interesting observation because in the initial draft of the script, um, I would say the, the bulk of the story, the main uh, middle of the story is the same. But the beginning and the end were completely different. I had to, to rewrite them because in early drafts of the script, people were complaining of that problem. They didn't really feel for the character. They didn't really get a sense of him. It was kind of very bland and generic. And he didn't, this, he, placing him in the story didn't have a purpose. So in subsequent drafts, I completely rewrote the beginning and end where he actually does have that phone conversation you're talking about with a loved one. And it really, it's a, it's a subtle change because the, of the pages were exactly the same, but those, that beginning and the end, it really completely changed things around because it gave you perspective as far as what this character is actually, who he's about and the reason he's going through what he's going through. So, so yeah, it was definitely 
a, a shift and a change and a purposeful way to kind of to kind of make you engage with him, make him, you connect with him on a, a kind of a personal level. Very nice. And so, um, did you think uh, that you wanted to do this because the, as we said, it's a, it's a it's a phone conversation with the loved one. We actually never we never actually see the person on the other end of the phone. So was that uh, a choice to sort of uh, give us a little bit of narration through somebody that, that we don't see? So that way you're not sort of doing that old sort of classic sort of storytelling, you know, that you might've gotten with like an old X-Men comic book where you'd be like, I Magneto am going to walk through the store <laughs> and pick up these things because you know, I can hold metal. Like, so is that a way to sort of, you know, give you uh, exposition and sort of tell the story, but without having to do it with like, uh, you know, the main character, like saying, okay, this is, this is, this is why I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. Um, you were able to have that sort of phone conversation. Um, tell us a little bit more about the people in the situation. You know, it's, it kind of serves that purpose, but it, it really wasn't my intent because as I said, in the first draft of the story, that conversation is completely gone. And, and really you could just have a stand in, go through the same situation that this guy did. You know, he just, he, I could have just started him with him pulling straight into the motel parking lot because mm -hmm. it's, because that's kind of, it's something so familiar that we've all can kind of relate to that. There's really no reason to give it a backstory. I, I, did give it a backstory, as you were mentioning with the phone call. But yeah, somebody's driving on the road, they see a motel, they pull into it. It's something that's so part of our culture and part of our norm that it really requires no explanation, which I think has resonated with a lot of people with this story. Because they, they, I think, I don't know anybody who hasn't stayed at, at some place, you know, other than their home. Yeah, um, I think sort of, like, as you said, you know, uh, there's the the story of, you know, the road trip or everybody's been on a, a trip that's either, you know, the timing was off or it's gone longer or you got stuck in traffic. So you sort of have to make that, uh, that last minute decision. Um, and so, you know, through the, the, the story that we get at the front of the, of the, of the comic, the first couple of pages uh, before he arrives, the fact that he is sort of at this hotel where all this weird stuff is happening is almost like a, a situation that if things would have gone right for him, you know, if the timing would have been right, if he, you know, he wouldn't have been in that location, which makes it a little bit more tragic. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could even go back to the, one of the most classic horror movies of all time, Psycho. I mean, that's kind of the premise of the, the big scene, the big um, drive having force of the narrative. You have somebody who stops off at a motel and it's very weird and scary stuff happens. So it's, it's very, it's very primal in the horror genre that a lot of people can connect with. Yeah. Um, so you, once our main character gets to a, um, gets to the motel, he's, he meets a number of unique and interesting characters. Uh, did you have one that you created first um, or, or, or were they, or did you sort of have, you know, blends and pieces of, of different ones that you, you know, through the story, you, you, you might've made one of the characters be a little bit more like this or have this sort of tick or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't particularly remember um, the order that I created the characters in. Uh, it was definitely a fun process because they're so different and they're mm -hmm. so out there 
and I was just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. Um, originally, the the concept for this story was interdimensional motel, okay. which is which basically meant that was that was my I guess we call it theme for the story. Uh, it, it shifted and changed over time where that kind of premise has been lost. But the general idea as far as the characters are concerned, it's still there. The, the original concept was uh, you have travelers that travel through different dimensions and they need some place to stay. And you want to make this that place feel warm and welcoming and homely to them, in which case the different motel rooms have to accommodate those people. So that idea definitely still lives on in the book. And mm-hmm. since, since all these different characters would be coming from all these different dimensions that were so weird, they all, they all have their own, their own backstories, their own, their own um, origins that are not necessarily exp- explored so much in the, the book itself, but you can definitely feel their presence. Nice. So um, I don't think this gives too much away and I'm going to be very vague, but um, you know, as we meet each character, um, you know, the, the, the first character we meet is sort of uh, quirky and like overly friendly, which gives us like a weird vibe. But as we sort of, um, as we progress and we get closer to the main character's room, um, the, the sort of the weirdness, the, 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 the strange factor goes up. It was almost like, uh, if you think of like a video game, it's sort of like the, the boss levels that you uh, get to as the game progresses. Um, uh, that's, you know, a good, uh, that's a good way to put it. And it builds the tension. So um, the, I'm assuming that was something you did by, de, by design as well, right? Yeah, yeah. He kind of, he runs through the gauntlet as it is. These, all these people are kind of lined up at the motel and in order to get to his room, he's got to go through them. But uh, it's, it's interesting to note that you think uh, the, the character that you're referring to, who's kind of bubbly and cheery is Chester. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you, you uh, stuck with him as the first character he meets when he's not, it's not actually the first character he meets at the motel. Very true. I, I now, now thinking back, you're, you're correct. Yeah, so the first character he meets is kind of like a grumpy guardian type woman. And and it's it's cool that, that you said that Chester was the first guy because immediately he kind of uh, sticks out. He calls himself the motel ambassador, which is why you think that he's the first guy that he meets. But immediately the, the first person that our main character, Steve, meets is kind of this grumpy person who's standing in front of the, the office door who's kind of, who's, who's standoffish. And I think that sets the tone. You might not, it might be subconscious, which is why you thought Chester was the first one, but it definitely sets the tone in that immediately right off the bat, Steve is met with this uh, imposing force that immediately gives him these red flags. It's like, what's going on here, you know? Yeah, and even thinking about it as a, as a complete story, uh, we talked about how uh, he's sort of at this motel um, just due to, to circumstances, you know, timing, uh, it's getting late in the evening, and that, that first character uh, that he meets outside sort of says some things that if uh, the main character would have taken the, that, you know, just sort of as at face value, um, might not have continued any further and not have, you know, encountered all of this weirdness and, and what we get at the end of the story. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. So um, uh, let's talk a little bit about your art team. Are these uh, artists that you've worked together with uh, in any of your other projects? 
I have not. I have not. I definitely like to 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 get around a little bit when I, when I work with different art teams. I like different styles, different flavors, and I like to just work with different people. You know, because uh, you expand your network and you and you um you get to see how different people work. And so for this book, I I just basically I wrote the story first. I didn't have an art team in mind, and I wanted to get kind of a creepy weird horror feel but but subtle in a way that it's not overbearing mm -hmm. you know so uh i found a a a line artist colorist combo and through facebook i think, believe one of the groups and they were they were great to work with very nice and did you send like a like a lot of reference because you know with with something like this uh uh, you know, it's it, it, the 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 motel is a is a character of its own. Like you know, if it was just sort of like your standard uh, blocky, uh, you know, six story Holiday Inn, um, it wouldn't have maybe been as weird and as scary. So did you did you go like uh, do some Google images search for for the way you wanted the the motel to look? Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, the look of the motel was it's kind of fairly standard when i think of motels they kind of have one typical look to them so mm -hmm. it wasn't that hard to find uh the right aesthetic to it what was basically what was more important was pretty much the layout because as you know i as we said steve kind of runs through a gauntlet of these characters so mm -hmm. the way the motel is positioned and formatted has to really conform to how the story plays out. So that was the big role. And, and I worked with them in making sure that that layout, that blueprint fit what, what we needed it to. Another thing was the characters themselves are very, are very specific as far as what, how the story goes. I gave them a lot of uh, free reign as far as designing them, but there were some times where he said, I need this guy to be skinnier or this person to be taller. And, and I think that they did a great job designing the characters. Very, very nice. Uh, just one more question about the, the design of the hotel, uh, the, the motel, I should say. Um, it, uh, it almost felt like it was either a place out of time or a place that was, you know, just so old that the, the, the caretakers didn't, um, you know, take the steps to sort of make it look modern. So was, was that a thought that you wanted to, to sort of add to that strangeness factor that's like, you know, these folks haven't, uh, uh, you know, modernized it in, in a lot of ways and uh, it sort of uh, it just sort of adds to that strangeness or that like out of time vibe. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, you could definitely write a story in a modern motel or a hotel. It's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, but for what we were going for, you definitely, as you said, you need some, that kind of out of time feel, that timeless feel, vintage feel a little bit. And it definitely plays into that kind of twilight zone aspect of it, that old timey kind of horror, you know, not, not something that's, that's trying to be too highbrow or high concept. Okay. So when Steve gets to his room, there's, uh, it, we almost sort of, you know, with a lot of storytelling, like there's a lot of sort of like ups and downs and he, you know, uh, you guys do a great job of, uh, when he gets to his room, uh, and he's, he's, you know, he's finally, he's, he's, he's going to be able to settle down and, and, and flop into that bed. But there's, uh, there's something 
not right about that bed, which requires him to sort of get out and engage with the the strange characters in the in the motel again. I think we, I think we can we can say what it is. It's not too so, good yeah. So there's there's no sheets on his bed. So he goes back out. Uh, so was that like uh, was that something that you you had early on, or did you just go, hey, I need a reason to get this guy back out of his room? It's kind of a combination of everything. Like I I wanted the story to keep going, and I wanted to keep up the weirdness of the situation, but still make it within the realm of possibility. So, I mean, how often do you go to a, a hotel or a motel and there's no sheets on the bed? Like it just, it doesn't happen, but there's no reason that it couldn't happen. You know, there's no reason, it's not like so bizarre. It's not like you go into a room and there's a, a giant tree sprouting out of the mattress. You know, it's, it's something that's kind of simple yet grounded in reality. So, uh, it, was just another thing that to keep Steve on his toes in this situation. Like I, now I got to deal with these damn bed sheets. And mm -hmm. so it forces him back into the gauntlet as well as it would. Yeah. And I, as you were explaining it, uh, if it was something that was so strange and so weird, uh, you know, a floating eyeball or something like that, that would have made him just sort of run for his car right away and, 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 and take off if he, you know, but this is just something that he's like, ah, it's, it's an oversight by the staff and I'm going to go, you know, I'm so tired that I'm going to go take care of this on my own. So it, it had to be something, like you said, it had to be something plausible um, and weird, but it also couldn't be so strange and so weird that he's just, you know, running for his car and, and he wants to take off. Yeah, so, I mean, it's very carefully kind of orchestrated as far as the steps that the, the weirdness, the craziness, the insanity is taken in the story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of odd, but it's not totally weird that will kind of set him off with the bedsheets. And the very next room that he steps in, uh, I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll tell what that is because it's kind of a, a, cool, a cool little aspect of his room. That is... Is is a, is another step further, and that kind of is enough to go make you go, "What the hell is really going on here?" You know, it's a very very weird room. It's an abnormal room, but it's not so weird or so abnormal that it has that supernatural uh, kind of tinge to it. You know, it's just totally out of the ordinary. So these these steps that are being taken to kind of lull Steve into a sense of weirdness is 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 a nice progression, I think, in the story. Yeah, I agree. Um, so do you think that like, uh, if you think of sort of like the, the strangeness of like, like a Twin Peaks TV show, um, was, was that something that, you know, was either consciously or maybe subconsciously was uh, something that you were, you were bringing to the, to this story? I've never seen Twin Peaks. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> but no, no, that's okay. I've seen, yes, I've seen tons of stories that are kind of that are kind of this level of kind of weirdness or offness or quirkiness, as you would put it. It's a quirky story, mm -hmm. and I, I've seen tons of stuff like that. It could definitely uh, play on my sensibilities, and, and it's why I wanted to kind of format the book in a way like that. I would say no, it's a good one. Beetlejuice. It's kind of okay. got, it's got a little bit of a a, a Beetlejuice vibe to it, and I, I love Beetlejuice growing up. So, okay, yeah, I could see that as well. Uh... Uh, you know, I, I, it's probably not hard to say that uh, Tim Burton and uh, David Lynch are cut from the sort of same quirky, bizarre cloth. So yeah, well, it makes, makes sense. 
So I, when people think of horror right away, you think of something that's, that's scary, you know, that's, that's full of blood and gore and serial killers and monsters. And, but I would absolutely describe this book as horror. And there's a whole nother le level of subgenre of horror. That's, that's just quirky horror. You know, it's, 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 it's frightening, but it's not frightening in an, in an overpowering sense. It's kind of a slow burn kind of frightening to it, which is, which is what I was going for here. So when I tell people that it's horror, I have to kind of throw in that it's more weird horror. Uh, it's more weird horror, bizarre horror. Yeah. Cause you were saying like, you know, a lot of people think of like the, 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 the blood and guts, the, the monster or, or the serial killer. Um, but like going back to like what we were saying was is it, it was very much like a, like a Twin Peaks I'm sorry not Twin Peaks uh, a, a Twilight Zone uh, episode and a lot of the scariness of uh, that was it's just sort of something that was almost like everyday life that just had this like slight bend to it um, which allows you to sort of connect with the that situation and you said before that like. You know how many of us have not uh, been on the road late at night and and see the place and, and and pull in. So like we almost all have that experience, which uh, allows it to to be that quirky, scary horror, which is not like the the slasher sort of thing. Yeah, at atmospheric horror is, I think is a good a good way to describe it. And you know you know I a lot of people when I've I've sent them over the book and they were describing it to me a word that kept reoccurring that I've heard a couple people use was unsettling. Like this was an unsettling story. It's not enough to, to scare you and give its nightmares, but it's enough to kind of rattle your nerves a little bit and make you feel unsettled. Yeah, you're definitely unsettled as soon as he gets, Steve gets to the hotel from, from his first interaction, you're just sort of like, something's off here. Uh, and uh, you know, you're just sort of like, okay, that's, that's weird about that person. That's weird about that person, but it, it sort of all goes together. So it desperately is, it's definitely is unsettling. Yeah. One of the critiques I got when, when this was still in script format, people were reading the dialogue. They're like, this dialogue doesn't make any sense. And I go, I know that's the point. <laughs> It's just, I, I had a blast writing the dialogue and just making it so out there and so weird that Steve's just like, you, you would think to yourself, just like Steve is, what the hell are these people talking about? <laughs> so um, you have a, I saw that you have a couple of uh, different covers on this. Uh, who are the folks that you got to, to, to work on some of the, the other covers? So... Um, one of the, the, the main cover is done by Ryan Leaves, great artist. He's done work for Marvel. His, his current book is a, is a big horror book with John Leeds with IDW Mountainhead. Mm -hmm. which is, I was reading that and I'm like, this book is definitely unsettling too. John Leeds is a great horror author, sure. horror writer, and it's, it's a very weird book. It's an out there book. It's crazy. And, and I reached out to, to Ryan to see if he'd be interested in doing the cover for this. And I was fortunate enough to grab him. And I think he did a great job with the main cover that um, we're also gonna have a hollow foil version of it as part of the Kickstarter. I'm excited to, to see what that's gonna look like. And then we have uh, two variants. One is done by uh, a collaborator that I worked with for, for Hollow Testament, the modern, the modern uh, Testament, Hollow Girl kind of crossover. Lou Cooper, he does a book with one of the characters, Phil, on the cover. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ryan Corbolt, he has uh, another variant cover, and he does the the twin sisters, who's Phyllis and Phyllis. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a very cool, it's kind of like a tarot card-esque cover, and he, he that's the second variant. So um, all in all, there's four different covers, the, the standard, the hollow foil standard, and the two variants. And they, it was very, it's, with this book, it's one of those things where I could just, uh, work with a, an artist that I'm familiar with, who I'm comfortable with, who I trust, and just say, do whatever you want, man. It's like, it's so weird and it's so out there. And Ryan Kravolt definitely um, took that blessing to, to kind of spread his artistic wings a little bit. And he, he does a whole different, a whole frame and a design and they're doing a weird dance. So he, he certainly had a blast with it. That's awesome. And what's really cool is that uh, Ryan is uh, like, uh, he's one of the the comics launch guys that's uh, in our group. So you were able to sort of use that networking and, you know, that connection to, to bring in an artist, which is, which is always cool. Yeah. It's an invaluable resource because I feel um, a lot of people in that group trust each other because we, we, we talk so often and we're, we're sharing the same struggles that it's not that I don't trust people that are not in the group. It's just that we're, we're constantly, constantly having back and forth on stuff other than just comic creation as far mm-hmm. as the logistical side of things. So it's, it's an easy group of people to communicate with when you communicate with them on other stuff and then you transfer to working a project together. It's kind of seamless. Nice. So continuing with the covers is, uh, are those going to be like different levels of, uh, like pledge levels, uh, in the Kickstarter? Yeah. So there's, I'm separating uh, all the covers where you can grab them all individually there's the, the, the standard cover, the hollow foil. I have a variant choice tier where you choose one or the other. And then I just have one bundle to where I, I put them all together and you can wrap them all. Awesome. So the last time you were on, uh, you were on to talk about sort of like a, you know, a more complex story where you were, you were using like uh, mythology that we all knew. You were, you, were, you were moving it to the modern world. Uh, you were collaborating with with another series, and do I remember correctly? Uh, was there a way to sort of uh, vote and like have an impact on like the the third story? Do, do yeah. I remember that? Yeah. So, Modern Godhood was the book. It was successful in April. We launched mm-hmm. it, and it was a crossover between my Modern Testament series, which is an anthology series of kind of biblical mythology, and uh, Braiding Cox's Reclaiming Godhood series, which is all about the Roman god Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And we had three stories. The first one was Jupiter versus Lilith. The second was Jupiter versus the Beast, and the last one was Jupiter versus the Four Horsemen. And we hadn't finished the story, the last story, so we kind of offered up a a poll as part of the Kickstarter campaign, a little fun thing to do, where the Jupiter faced off against the Horsemen, and one of them was going to step forward to challenge him, and we let the backers decide on who it was going to be. And just for fun, we put in a, an option where. None of them stepped forward. He has to fight them all. And of course, and I wasn't surprised that that was the one that won. Everybody wanted to see him battle a four horse at the same time. So uh, it, was, it was a cool story. It's kind of a, a nice battle. And uh, the book turned out great. Very cool. I apologize. I called it by the wrong name at the beginning. I called it uh, Modern Mythology Mod- when it was Modern Godhood. So yeah. I apologize for, for that. Um, it's uh, all right. Modern Mythology is a great book. You should pick that up too. <laughs> I, it is. Um, so was it freeing uh or was it just sort of like like a like a break to um you know that story had to be the 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 modern godhood story had to be much more i'm guessing much more involved with with this 
your, your, you know, your one story, almost one location, was it freeing to just sort of have that and tell the story there? A little bit, a little bit. I, um, you know, Modern Godhood, it took so long to get that book off the ground mm-hmm. that it, it, the time constraints didn't really feel constraining. You know, it, because it was like we worked on one story and then we worked on another story. So it was like it, it almost felt like different projects in a way when eventually when it came all together, it was just like building blocks. They were all done. So it, it really wasn't that difficult as far as putting all the story and jumping back and forth between the art teams. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, as far as the motel is concerned, it, we kind of finished that fairly quickly. You know, it was just the whole art by itself took maybe, I don't know, two months or so. And uh, I finished lettering it uh, a couple months. Uh, it took me maybe, like, I, I lettered pretty slowly that it took me, I don't know, two weeks or so. So it was, it, it moved pretty fast. Okay. So I always have a question for folks who are writers and then they're also, they're acting as the letterer. That's almost the last stage of, of production. So you're, uh, do you use that as a one last final pass? If you, uh, you know, you get to a panel and now that, you know, you've lived with this panel in your head, you wrote the, you wrote the dialogue with sort of a, a vision in your head, uh, but now seeing it on the page, uh, that could sort of change the way things go. So do you, uh, do you stick with what you wrote the first time or, or do you, are you a little bit more freeing that you, you know, now that I see this, you know, the arts on the page, I might change this. This person doesn't necessarily need to say this because it's conveyed by the art. Like, how do you handle that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a control freak, you know, a little bit of a perfectionist and a little bit of a control freak and lettering, lettering allows me that ability to kind of have the final say on how the page is going to look, mm-hmm. you know? So I, when I definitely am writing a script that I know that I'm going to letter, I don't want to say that I get sloppy, but I, when if somebody's reading it, they say, you got too many words on this page. You're going to need to trim it down. I'll just like, I'll do it when I letter. You know, <laughs> I just, I always kind of wait till the end and I, and I swap, uh, balloons around if I don't think a balloon is going to fit on this page I'll put it on this page or maybe it will work better if I, I move it around a little bit I love I like being able to play around with the page and having that control as opposed to going back and forth and somebody who, who, who uh, a separate letter but at the same token you know I'm not an artist I'm not a designer I'm very bad with visual stuff so I it makes me appreciate the great letters all that much more who can really who can really make something pop with stuff like sound effects and cool lettering balloon designs and logos. So while it's great that I have that control and I know that I can, I can always tweak stuff up to the last minute. It, it's great. Sometimes it just hand reins to somebody who's, who's really an expert in the field and, and watch them work. Very nice. So in addition to comics launch, you and I are both members of comics experience. Um, uh, did you did you take the lettering course from Comics Experience, or are you sort of uh, self taught in in lettering? Yeah, I definitely took the the Comics Experience course. Okay. I needed I needed a way to it, originally it was a way to kind of cut costs in the book mm-hmm. so that I can uh, 
so I can try to fund these things a lot easier and lighter than myself. And it became something that I really took pride in, you know, that I, as I did it more and more and I got better at it and I got better at it, I really felt strongly about the way the lettering should look on certain books. And I liked putting my finishing touches on the, on the pages and the words and the, the balloons and the tails and all that stuff. So it really, it became a source of pride. So that's how I learned how to do it. And I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Uh, mm-hmm. My instructor, Dave Sharp, who's a, a great letterer, he does a lot of stuff for DC now. He's been doing it for a long time. He's kind of my lettering guru whenever I'm not sure about a page or, or I do something that's really cool that I'm proud of. I kind of send it over to him and just to kind of chew my own horn a little bit. And uh, also in comics experience, I workshopped the script through the workshop. So those were, those were again, when I was talking about the critiques, mm-hmm. that's where I the feedback from so comics experience has definitely had its its fingerprints on this book very cool uh so i have a couple of questions uh well actually i guess more of a statement and a question like with lettering that's sort of the unsung sort of uh heroes of of lettering or of, of comics because if you're if the letterer is doing their job you don't notice the lettering but if they if they sort of put something in the wrong spot or uh you know it's it's a little wonky or it covers something up then you notice it and it sort of pulls you out of the story for a second uh so lettering is is as i said it's the sort of unsung uh you only uh you only notice them uh if they mess up sort of like refs in football like they they should sort of not be seen and the only time you sort of see them and pay attention to them is when they make like a like a bad holding call on a on a touchdown pass or something like that yeah i i always say lettering is the only art form that's more successful the least it gets noticed very true and so uh you uh you're lettering these books but you've also sort of lived with this story in your head for so long and i know a problem that i have um is that like a lot of times since i've lived with the story in my head for so long i know what the story should say but it's not actually what it does say so do you have somebody proofread it um after you um after you letter it because i know for myself i might just sort of think that I, I nailed everything because again, I've lived with the story in my head. So I guess basically what I'm asking is, do you have somebody proofread it after you've lettered it? Uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really call it proofreading. Mm-hmm. I just say, here, take a look at the book, <laughs> you know, like, like yourself. I feel like if you saw, if there was a problem with the page, you would have kind of uh, said to me, look, I was reading this and this doesn't make any sense at all. If it's that bad where somebody has to point out to you, you really got to change it. Otherwise, I, I kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of good with it because I have people go through the script all the time. So in script format, I, it's when I try to hammer out that doesn't make sense uh, scenario. Awesome. Well, uh, so uh, I guess maybe what I'd like to ask you now is sort of a, uh, a 2020 uh, question. Like, you know, here we are in 2020. Uh, there's no cons going on uh launching a kickstarter uh it seems that things are fairly you know that that i've seen a lot of successful projects i guess it helps to have keanu reeves uh uh on your kickstarter but um is there anything about 2020 that concerns you um with with launching a kickstarter um not particularly i wanted to to get it over and done with before the election came around true i didn't want to have to compete with it 
and uh, the Kickstarter is running from October 1st to the 28th. So I kind of, I think I gave myself enough of a breathing room before people really start to panic. And anything else in 2020 as far as Kickstarter is concerned? I mean, it's weird because I live in New York. So at the beginning of the pandemic in, in the States, it was pretty bad in New York, especially mm-hmm. where I am. I'm, I'm living close to the city. So when I launched uh, Modern Godhood in April, that was like in the real heat of things, where mm-hmm. in other parts of the country, it was still, it hadn't really hit them yet. Even though there was, there was financial issues because people, they, they were shutting down work and people were, were out of jobs. The, the pandemic side of things, of, of hospitals getting overloaded and cases really spiking, it wasn't, it wasn't that, that bad. As, as right now, uh, things are settling down in New York. It's pretty good, but other parts of the country are really, really, um, aren't doing as well so it's it's flipped a little bit and it'll be interesting to see if that will have an effect as far as anything that i can notice when i run the campaign this time around yeah i think one thing that's interesting uh that i've kind of thought about is is that uh you know depending on the the job that you that you do um you know i my day job is 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 an office job so i just sort of flip the switch of going into the office, sometimes working from home, sometimes to working at home. So I'm definitely in front of a computer a little bit more than I probably would be if, you know, if I, if I had the commute and stuff like that. But I'm also, uh, I'm not spending money on gas to go places because I'm trying to be safe and stay home and only go out when, when I need to. So like, I'm wondering if people have a little bit more disposable income if, if, you know, if they're lucky enough that they've been able to sort of keep their job, uh, you know, keep working. Uh, so I'm wondering if that's a factor in Kickstarters as well. I mean, I can speak from personal experience that when, when things were getting bad here in New York, I definitely noticed that, that I wasn't spending as much money because I have a lot of kids mm-hmm. and you always got to keep kids entertained. So we, there's movies and trampoline parks and, and a whole bunch of other stuff that they want to do, which we just weren't doing you know our activities were going on walks or a bike ride or watching tv so all those out of the house activities that would kind of drain our our income wasn't wasn't going on so yeah i definitely think that that could be a factor nice so um you know this is your second time being on the first time was for you know an action sort of uh you know take on you know gods in in our world and and fighting and then this where this one is sort of you know a creepy strange uh you know horror story is there anything else that you would like to tell um is there anything that you might uh be working on and you can certainly be vague here is there anything that you would uh like to do or is there anything that you're you're planning on doing next well, you know, I've comics is kind of a, a long game. I don't got to tell anybody who works in comics that they, they kind of know that you could be on making a story for years and it finally comes out and then you could be making a story for, for a month and they just kind of converse at the same time. So this is kind of kicking off hopefully a, a marathon of Kickstarters for me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to run eight in the next two years. Okay. I have so many projects that are kind of all coalescing at the same time, finishing that I really want to, I don't want to sit on anything. I really want to get them out there. So 
Yeah, they're, and they're basically all over the place. I have a historical kind of supernatural horror book. I got a detective book. I got another kind of pulpy Lovecraft book. The next one that I'm hoping to launch would be in January. And that's going to be a two-part, uh, two-issue story. And it's sort of a sci-fi uh, adventure mystery about, um, it kind of takes place in the future. And it's about uh, deep sea rescue divers who go searching for scientists underneath the, the waters of Antarctica, which is it's going to be a lot of fun. It's something different than people have seen from me in the past. And I have a blast with the story because it, there's, there's a mystery to it, sort of. So it should be, it should be very fun and, and very cool. Nice. So uh, I guess uh, another storytelling question um, as we close up here. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you, you write, you're, you know, you're a writer of other things other than comics. You, you write uh, prose. Uh, so what do you see are, are some of the, uh, the differences or, or maybe they're, they're very similar to you in that you, or that you get to expand a little bit more in the prose work? Like, is it, is it a similar process or two totally different processes for you? I think there's two ways to answer that question. The first is from kind of just your basic storytelling standpoint, which is, it's the same because a story in a movie or a stage play or a novel or a comic, the, the basic building blocks of the, of the story are the same. Your characterization, your plot, your setting, your tone, your theme, those things are universal throughout. But it's your execution that is going to be wildly different. And the main difference between a comic and a prose is who's the, who's the main storyteller here. So as a, as a writer of a comic book, you're essentially using your artist as an, as an avatar for yourself. To, you're, you're funneling your story through the artist's pencil or pen or, or the colors or what have you. Whereas when you're writing a novel, you are the primary storyteller. You are the one putting the words on the page and those words have a direct shot to the reader. It's, it's all in your shoulders and both have pros, both have cons, both have their different burdens. So, um, yeah, that's the main thing. And I find, I find writing novels very empowering because you have that straight shot is so powerful where you can really paint your own picture within the artist, uh, within the reader's head. Whereas the collaborative effort in a comic book is also very cool where you, you come up with something in your head and you, you kind of try to have the artists depict it and they come up with something that's completely different that you didn't think of. And it, it works fabulously. So both of them are definitely very cool processes and it's, it's difficult comparing them because of it. Okay. Is there, uh, is there, is there one that you're, you know, there's always the pantser uh, versus the, the, the plotter. Is there one that you maybe are more of a pantser at uh, the, the, the prose work? Uh, Cause I'm, you know, I'm guessing that with a, with a comic, you might be, I guess it would be a little bit more difficult to, 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 be, to be a pantser and sort of let the story go where it wants to. Uh, but what's your sort of philosophy there? Yeah, it's definitely hard being a pantser in a comic book because comics are all about pacing. You know, mm -hmm. you really, you, you, comics are all about making the most out of your limited resources, which is basically your pages. You only have a certain amount of pages, certain amount of panels, and it's very hard to kind of just write at the seat of your pants if, you, if you're not taking the most advantage out of all of it. Whereas prose, you can just kind of sit down at the keyboard and let it flow and whatever comes, comes. I'm absolutely 100% more of a plotter. Okay. I don't know how people can, can be pantsers. They're kind of a, uh, an, an, an alien that you, I don't understand. <laughs> 
but yeah, I can't write a story unless I know uh, where I'm going and what's going to happen in the end. It's th that doesn't mean that if I sit down and write a chapter, I might not write the chapter a different way, but the plot points, I have to know what they are. And I have to know what the ending is going to be, or at least have a strong implication as to what an ending is going to be. I'm definitely more on the plotting side. Awesome. Well, uh, I got a, a chance to read this book and I'm, I'm very excited uh, for, for the Kickstarter. Um, but as we close up, let's, let's do two things. Let's let folks know where they can find you online and let's do the, uh, the, the, the elevator pitch uh, synopsis for, for this uh, book, uh, this comic coming to Kickstarter on October 1st of 2020. All right, so uh, I'm Frank Martin. You could find me at the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the handle at Frank the Writer. Uh, you can I'll be posting about the book all throughout October as it's as it's live, and also you can sign up for my mailing list on my website, which is just FrankTheWriter.com. So it's uh, it's all pretty easy. And uh, the uh, the the elevator pitch for the the comic. Yeah, from Macabre Motel. It's about a guy named Steve who's on his way to see his girlfriend. Uh, it's getting kind of late, so he stops off for the night at a motel. And it's already filled with a bunch of very weird and peculiar guests that kind of freak Steve out. He tries to make a break for it, and they're not too keen on, on seeing him so, go so soon. So he's kind of stuck in a whirlwind. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to have links to the Kickstarter and all of your social media and the, the show notes for, for the podcast. Uh, so for anybody listening, I just want to make it uh, as easy as possible. Just scroll down the show notes and, and click those links and, and bring up Frank stuff and certainly bring up the Kickstarter page. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. So um, as we close up, I'm going to do the calls to action for the podcast. If you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service that you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, uh, we're on social media. Twitter is at ConstructComPod. Instagram is ConstructingComicsPod. Facebook and YouTube is ConstructingComics. Um, also, if you can, uh, I am part of a Kickstarter that is going on now. Um, it'll be finishing up on Halloween uh, 2020. It's called Dino Thrashers. Um, it's a mashup of sort of 80s and uh, comics and cartoons. Think G.I. Joe, Transformers, and, and Thundercats sort of all thrown together. Um, so I'm going to have a link for that Kickstarter and our social media and the, the show notes. But Frank, I want to thank you for being back on. Uh, it was great to catch up with you again. I'm pretty excited for this book. Uh, and I encourage everybody to go uh, and check it out. Um, so once again, thanks for, for listening. Please uh, be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. And we'll be back uh, very soon.